Hello, my friends. Welcome to the Words from the Wilderness podcast. This is Season 3, Episode 3, Gardening Grace. You know, most of us realize how important our words are, yet all too often we speak discouragement instead of hope. And it's nowhere more true than in how we talk to ourselves. And I'll admit it, this is a definite struggle for me, and I figure I'm not alone in this either. So today, I'm sharing how my little springtime garden taught me the true power of my words, and how my flowers inspired me to speak life to myself. So please enjoy Gardening Grace. Despite my best efforts, I have never been much of a gardener. This is disappointing to me, because in theory, gardening sounds like the most idyllic of pastimes. In my mind, I can easily insert myself into the backdrop of a margarine bastine painting, sinking hands in the hungry soil and planting the embryos of beautiful flowers and towering trees. Then, watching the springing green of the first shoots and nurturing the tender new growth and finally rejoicing in a crop of breathtaking blooms or luscious vegetables. The loving labor of sweat and soul over the eager earth. However, every time I've attempted gardening, my reality is... (laughs) Well, um, let's just say it is far less picturesque. Instead of enchanting scenes of tranquility, my gardening experiences are pitiable sketches of flounderings and failures. Like the time I planted a lantana bush in the middle of summer, I know, wrong time, and then promptly forgot I had done so, (laughs) at least until I stumbled over its crunchy leaves weeks later. Yeah. Or, you know, there was the time that I watered a flower patch with a single-minded determination. I mean, I was going to water these plants, and uh, I kind of drowned them instead. And then there was this time when I just fell in love with a particular variety of sun-loving plants. And I decided that I could make them work in my own area. Um, It was shady, but they would still work, right? Spoiler alert. No, no, that, no, they did not work. But sometimes, I mean, yes, those were my fault, but sometimes the tragedy that inevitably befalls my plants is not my fault. Sometimes I have done all the right things, watered appropriately, weeded religiously, selected optimal varieties for the habitat. And still, what I have begun to refer to as my anti-green thumb it still finds a way to manifest itself. I had a cluster of dianthus plants who thrived happily for three seasons, lulling me into this belief that maybe my curse had finally broken. And they returned year after year, and then they just all mysteriously turned brown and withered away. A few years ago, I planted some lettuce seeds in my vegetable garden, and they thrived until I woke one morning to find that the stalks had been snipped to the ground. Rabbits, I guess. And so far, so far, I have even managed to kill not one, not two, but three, three small houseplants. The clincher, 
they were all cactus plants. Yeah, truly. I can't think of a greater mark of doom for a would-be gardener. Yet for some reason, for some reason, I still nurtured buoyant hopes that I would transform from a plant executioner into a bona fide gardener. After all, my mother can pay $2 for a mostly dead plant off a cell rack at the nursery and coax it into something wonderful by the end of the season. So surely, I have always reasoned, these gardening powers are genetic, right? Sooner or later, I will manifest this latent trait. That's what I keep telling myself. Gotta have something to keep hope alive. And so every spring, I find myself at the greenhouse. Armed with a six-pack of annuals and a bursting swell of confidence for the season ahead. But every year that I did that, my plants would still fail. Until finally, in desperation, I adopted a different approach. That year, I still visited the greenhouse. I still selected a pack of flowers. I still planted them in the same location and gave them the same care. But then I did something different, something radical, something that was possibly bizarre and at least at first, definitely embarrassing. I began talking to my plants. And I had never carried on conversations with plants before. So certainly at first it felt more than awkward, but as the summer continued, so did our one-sided chat. Every time I passed their area, every time I watered them or pulled weeds from around them, I praised them, telling them how beautiful they were and how tall they were growing and how proud I was of their efforts. It was just an experiment and it felt more wacky than wise. But within just a few weeks, I was startled by the results. The plants were taller and healthier and had more blooms than I'd ever expected. And their prosperity continued. In fact, they thrived all the way through the season until the first frost. So now I was curious, right? So I waited until the next spring. And then I deliberately chose a variety of plants that I thought would be truly difficult to grow. I had planted them in the past a few times, and every time they had either withered immediately or just stagnated throughout the season and never thrived, never got any bigger. So I reasoned that if my experiment could work with these plants, then there might be something to it. So again, I repeated my tactic. I planted them in the same area, and then I began praising them as I watered and weeded. And to my shock, the plants that normally drooped dead within a few weeks thrived. They produced a daily shower of bursting blooms. They grew larger and healthier than I'd ever seen, and even at the end of the season offered fluffy white seed pots, fulfilling their life cycle with grace. My experiment had been proven. But this experience did more than teach me how to successfully cultivate plants. It forced me to confront a truth that's so often overlooked, and that is the power of our words. We're so careless with our words, aren't we? Research tells us that the average human speaks over 7,000 words every single day, 
and my family and friends would probably tell you that my average is higher than that. And like any readily available and commonplace resource, our words tend to be thrown about without conscious thought or focused mindfulness. But we need to realize that the words that come across our minds, through our screens or out of our mouths, are far from random arrangements of letters. They matter. And they shape both us and those around us. And it's no surprise then that the Bible constantly urges us to choose our words with care. Peter, himself a master at slipping up in his speech, reminded his readers that whoever would love life and see good days must keep their tongue from evil. 1 Peter 3.10 NIV Likewise, Paul urged the Ephesian church, Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Ephesians 4.29 NIV And the wisest man on earth, King Solomon, took these admonitions a step further. In Proverbs 18.21, he proclaimed, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Death and life. It sounds like a metaphor, right? A figure of speech. Maybe a bit of an exaggeration. But it's not. You see, words, whether they're flowing from our mouths, pelting us from others, or simply scribbled across our minds, words lie at the root of our spiritual lives. In his epistle, James references this subject in a fascinating way comparing the tongue to the bit used in a horse's bridle. Just as a large, powerful horse can be controlled by the tiny piece of metal in her mouth, our souls and spirits can be turned by the tongue. James reminds us that a poisonous tongue has a deadly power capable of staining the whole body and setting on fire the entire course of life. James 3.6 But he also assures his readers that If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. Verse 2b. Perfect here refers to spiritual maturity. In other words, controlling our spirits, our bodies, and indeed, the direction of our whole lives must start with monitoring the tongue. I don't know about you, but this is extremely sobering to me. How many times have I snapped a reply in response to irritation or fear? How many times have I allowed negative statements to hover over my shoulders until they wrote their way into my story? How many of my 7,000 plus words every day lift up the name of Jesus or give encouragement to others? And how many are devoted only to nursing fears or airing my own selfish concerns? These are hard questions. But they're ones we must face, and not just with others, but with ourselves too. You see, many of us are already aware of the dangers of careless words, right? At least when it comes to others. But when we're with ourselves, we lack the filter of public opinion. Frustration, fear, guilt, shame, discouragement, or anger may be blocked by the dam of our regard for others, but they will find an outlet in the ways we talk to ourselves. It is shockingly, sickeningly easy 
to fall into a negative pattern of addressing our bodies, minds, and spirits with disrespect or open hostility. I'll admit it. I'm very guilty of this. I try to not be, but it's definitely an area of struggle for me. We speak to ourselves with tones and words we would never use with a trusted friend. And as a result, we're hurting ourselves. We're blocking the flow of the Spirit in our lives. We're preventing ourselves from becoming all that we could be in Him. I realized the power of speech as I watched my fragile plants sprout healthy leaves, burst into flower, and thrive, all during one of the hottest summers on record. Nothing about the way I cared for them changed. And certainly, I did not become a skilled gardener overnight. The only thing I changed was my words toward them. And it made all the difference. And it was convicting for me. I realized that if my words were powerful enough to change the growth pattern of my plants, then they were no doubt powerful enough to alter my own growth and health as well. And I began to wonder what miracles changing my narrative toward myself might create. So what can we do? What steps should we take to make our words work for us, not against us? Well, first, we have to make the choice. James attacks this issue again within his epistle. With our tongue, we bless our Lord and Father. And with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. Verse 9, you can hear the passion in his final statement. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Verse 10, just as Jesus urged his disciples to choose one master, and Moses urged the Israelites to choose the one God, James urges us today to choose either blessing or cursing. When I planted my flowers, I decided I would not allow them to hear any negative talk from me. When I was within earshot of my plants, I didn't criticize my own gardening skills or compare them to other flowers or comment on the days they looked wilted. And we must make the same choice regarding ourselves, that we will not allow negative talk to have the final say in our hearts and minds. But it's not enough to simply refrain from negative talk. Instead, we have to actively and intentionally replace it with positive speech, just as I did with my flowers. Every word I said to them was gentle and kind, a word of encouragement. How pretty their flowers were, or how brave they'd been during the hot afternoons, or how proud I was of them for growing so tall. And that's what we have to do for ourselves as well. Positivity won't simply spring up in our souls any more than my plants would thrive without care. It's up to us to cultivate it. That means something different for everyone. But there are a few things to try. You can give yourself a pep talk, delivering encouragement to yourself just as you would to a struggling friend. Or you can listen to positive music that uplifts and refreshes. Seek out trusted mentors and friends who will build you up instead of tearing you down. And of course, stay rooted in Scripture, declaring the promises of God over your life. Is it easy at first? No, especially with discouragement and disappointment so often braided into our reflexes. But is it worth it? Yes, because death and life truly are in the power of the tongue. Every morning that summer, when I saw my thriving plants outside my window, 
I was reminded of the transformative and healing power of life-giving words. Not just for fragile seedlings, but for our own hearts and spirits as well. Thank you all for listening today. I hope this release encouraged you and motivated you to make a change in the way you talk to yourself. Just because we're not speaking our words aloud or using them in conversations with others doesn't mean they're not important. They're still having an effect on us. And we need to honor the fact that we are the chosen ones of God. Don't speak to yourself in a way that God wouldn't speak to you. I know it's hard. We're all a work in progress. But make it a goal this week to say something kind to yourself. To refute the lies that you might be believing without even realizing it. To take just one step towards speaking life and not death. Have a blessed week, my friends. Go out and find the miracles around you.